Hotel. India. Echo. Lima. Delta. Shield. Go to hell. Here we go. Disrespect. The size of the monster among men has to be seen, we believe. This is your United States of America. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to episode six of Hitting the Marks Pro Wrestling Podcast for Thursday, October 5th, 2017. Coming up on today's show, we've got your Hell in a Cell Go Home show, the latest from Monday Night Raw, a cease and desist update, injury news, and more. But before we dive in, it's my obligation to tell you that this is a podcast by the fans for the fans, bringing you all the news that is news from across the professional wrestling world, talking creative, the business aspects of professional wrestling, and of course, giving our unsolicited opinions. You can contact the show on Twitter at HTMPWPod, on Facebook at Hitting the Marks, drop us an email at hittingthemarks at gmail.com. My name is Jargo, I'll be your host for the day, joined alongside my Huckleberry, RBV, Rick, welcome to your show. Jargo, we're back in the saddle again. It's me, it's me, RBV, Rick Vickery. Before we dive into this, though, I, I wanted to mention something to you. I'm not sure if you picked up on it, but over the last couple of weeks, you know, we made some, some mention of some talent and maybe certain directions that they should be moving in. Two particular, the Bray Wyatt, Sister Abigail kind of deal, where he would kind of take on that persona himself. And we also, left, you know, last week in our... That was a very interesting conversation about merchandising. We talked extensively about Kalisto, and look, look who showed back up on television this week. I don't want to toot our horn, but let's just pretend that someone out there is listening to us. Oh, and Ty Dillinger. Don't forget Ty Dillinger. We put him over, and, and like, Ty, episode two. You know, hey, it's, it's that hitting the marks rub. Apparently, it's, it's taken off. We've got something here. Kurt Hawkins ain't got shit on us, ladies and gentlemen. The star makers, baby. Well, let's find out who's going to be the stars of tomorrow. We've got a lot to talk about on this show, so let's just jump straight into Monday Night Raw. Uh, before we before we get too deep into Raw, thumbs up, thumbs down. What do you rate the show? Scale of one to ten. I enjoyed this Raw. You know, it, it was by you know by far. Perfect in those in no means, but I would say I was I was entertained more than I wasn't, and that might have been that I actually was enjoying myself while I was watching the show. I was heavily involved in a live discussion over on the WrestleZone Facebook group. Some great chat going on there. What I said going away from it, uh, I feel pretty good. The group, the group chat always makes a show better. That is a fact. Uh, I was not a big fan of the show, but. Yeah, you know, it, it had a, it had its points. Uh, Raw opens up with the silent open for Las Vegas. Uh, we would see the same thing on SmackDown on Tuesday. Thought that was a pretty classy move by the WWE. Uh, the only thing that I really took note of was the positioning of some of the superstars on the stage. Uh, if you want to know how close somebody is to Vince, look how close somebody is to Vince. It's worth taking note of. Uh, the only person that I, I didn't happen to see in any of the still frames was Kevin Owens, which I thought was kind of a nice touch. 
immediately when SmackDown, when they, they zoomed in on the shot of the superstars up there on the stage, that was the first thing that I had noticed, that there is no Kevin Owens. But it's like you said there, you know, just sticking to storyline purposes there. Nice little touch. Same that you'd always seen where they kind of had the Undertaker kind of avoid those types of situations. Also noticeable by their absence were Hunter and Stephanie McMahon. Later found out they are in India, so I guess we can let them off the hook for that one. Uh, Enzo made a public statement before the show about how difficult the show was going to be, but they were going to go out and do their best to entertain everybody. It was a great statement that Roman Reigns should have made. When you brought this to my attention, I, I, thought, I thought a little funny that, that WWE didn't have someone behind the scenes because they're scripting and everywhere else. They're so paranoid and anal about what goes on that they didn't have someone kind of looking over to make sure that Roman was that voice of reason and understanding on behalf of the WWE superstars. And at a certain point, Roman has to step up and be that guy to begin with. WWE shouldn't have to step in. Roman should just do it. Now I'm just looking at it from an inside PR machine. If I've got a lot invested in my main attraction, my marquee superstar going forward, yeah, I've got people watching everything he's doing. I got, I got PR people so far off his ass that it is even funny. Also missing from this show was Michael Cole. He was off uh, attending a family wedding. Props to whoever scheduled the wedding on a Monday, getting Michael the day off. Michael Cole was very missed on this show from my aspect. Uh, Tom Phillips normally doesn't bother me, but I noticed this week he's a lot more Marl Ranallo than he is Michael Cole. And you need Michael Cole for Monday Night Raw. What? Well, I wanted to bring up that point. And for a man who's been so dedicated to his craft, this is like the first time he's missed an episode. It's like the second time ever that he's missed a Monday Night Raw. He's dedicated to his craft. And he receives so so much unwanted criticism. I think, you know, let's take this opportunity to give the man his dues. Under that WWE narrative, he does not stand any job. Michael Cole is a narrator. Well, he is. He's a pitch man, and you know what, when he has to, he can turn it on, become a classic commentator when he needs to be, but the majority of the time with him, or 85, 90% of the time that we hear him, his job to be a pitch man for everything that's going on within that WWE narrative. So the show kicks off, we have Braun Strowman versus The Architect. Seth Rollins. I thought it was interesting that they were quick to point out that he's the architect again on uh, Monday Night Raw this week. Evidently, he's an architect because he's been researching Braun Strowman and supposedly knew Braun Strowman's weaknesses. Didn't work out so good for Seth. I like jumping right into the action here. They come back from the intro, and here we go. It was nice to not have a 20-minute promo off the top of the show. Oh, it was such a such a refreshing change of pace there, and we're and we're getting just not action coming out of the gate. This is something that that could main event at a pay per view or an event you know not level there, coming right out of the gate. And there was a lot of nice foreshadowing going on here that would make that would once everything unfolded, it would make perfect sense why this match was opening for us. One thing that I did want to point out that was very, very different about this episode of Raw 
How many segments are the bar in? How many segments is Dean in? How many segments is Seth in? Because it's normally just a one segment. That's it. That's all you get. It was it was almost like there was a little bit of continuity throughout this show, and it was a very, very pleasant change of pace. It takes you back to the good old days where they had a few stories that moved along through an entire episode instead of everything just being so blocked off. We were talking before the show. I'm I'm starting to watch the build to Survivor Series 97. I watched the uh, Brian Pillman gun angle last night. That story starts at the beginning of Raw, and it ends at the end of Raw. It goes throughout the entire show. Even when there's matches going on, they're talking about that. Never see that in today's narrative. So, so after- the match itself, what, what do you think about the match itself there? The match itself was fine. I thought they gave Seth a little too much offense, but at least they put over inside of the commentary, and this is where good commentary can actually do something for a match, that Seth had been researching Strowman. So it didn't bother me nearly as much as it normally would to see Seth and Braun go for 10 minutes, roughly. I mean, typically, I would like to see Braun come out and just crush him. If we both agreed on that going in, that we would have liked to see a squash or, a, you know, just have Braun destroy just before the match even takes place. Like, I was pleasantly surprised how the match worked. You know, in a lot of those tough spots, it wasn't as if, you know, Rollins was going to take the big man down. It was just he was trying to survive and look for those weaknesses and wait for his opening. Rollins so is really good, man. Rollins is really good. You know, there was a reason he was the man. Rollins is really good. They've uh, He's been cooled off considerably from where he should be at this point. But it seems like he's actually starting to get a little bit of the fan base behind him. What is he there when he came back? Where he's at right now, that's all on creative. It's all on the creative and the booking. Because if they would have brought him back as a babyface immediately from that injury, he would be <laughs> over like Grover right now. Words, words right out of my mouth there, sir. You know, the people wanted to cheer him so much. So badly did they want to cheer Oh, when he returned to that Extreme Rules pay-per-view, the lid blew off that place. And then he comes out the next night on Raw and shits on the fans, and it's been playing catch-up ever since. You know, and then everything with Triple H has been so forth, it just hasn't played out well. So after Strowman finally gets done destroying the architect, enter the lunatic. Braun makes quick work of Dean, which I was absolutely fine with. Not so sure about Dean running out to come save Seth there, but it, it, it almost seems like they kind of they, they kind of screwed the pooch with a little too much foreshadowing in this first segment for me. Well, what I like here with this, it's going to make coming out to save his boy. He's got a little bit of beef with Braun from last week to put his ass down. Yeah, but he also said that messing with Braun was a terrible idea. He's a lunatic, man. He doesn't care about that. <sighs> Speaking of Brian Pillman, if I could get a little bit more Brian Pillman and Dean Ambrose, that'd be great. But we'll jump back to the foreshadowing because it, if we get through this card and the way things play out, having Dean out there Makes perfect sense. It falls right into the, the equation of this that they're laying out for us. 
Braun leaves, enter the bar. Bar comes out, takes their shots at Dean and Seth. Again, more foreshadowing for later on in the show. But, oh my God, Rick, we actually have overlapping stories here. Yeah, I had that in my notes. I had it in my notes. There's something I wanted to bring up here. Yeah, as we talked, I believe it was last week that we talked about this, about how we see this so often in New Japan, interesting. And how interesting it is to see all these things intertwined together in a purely non-existent recently in WWE programming. And then sure enough, you know, we've gotten it the last two weeks. We're starting to see a lot, lot more of it. I don't know if it's just because the Survivor Series is just around the corner, or maybe it's going to become a new trend for them. So then we go to Mickey and Alexa. We'll come back to uh, the architect and the lunatic and the bar. That sounds like a joke, doesn't it? An architect and a lunatic walk into a bar. So let's talk about the women's division and the mess that is the Mickey and Alexa backstage segment. So we're, we're, we're doubling down now. We're going all in on 38 year old Mickey James is a grandma who needs a walker and depends. And what the hell is this shit? This is Rover coaches WWE. Yeah. I really dug that opening segment. So high, it's going to be a good show. We've got some things going on. And then we just dip down to the bottom of the barrel. It's pretty much sum up what we had here. From a low-brow verbal exchange last week, so this week we saw just the full-blown absurdity. They begin with Emma and Fox giggling and teasing games. They move into this over-the-hill prop shit, and then Jack and Bliss install these things. Uh, it was more like a production of Mean Girls than a serious professional wrestling feud. And the bottom line was what they got going on here. This, this shit is not fetched. Well, and the worst part is, Mickey James vs. Alexa Bliss is a program I could actually be interested in. And they're just... It's terrible. It's but the whole backstory here is the, with the building around this program, it's just, I don't it's just so low-brow that you can't find any bit of it entertaining. I can't invest in it because it's just so goddamn bad. I, I feel like this is just a transitional program until Asuka gets here. Do you agree with that? Well, one of the, one of the problems with it you know, they're making, they're putting Mickey in that underdog fight against the, the world role here. When you do that, you usually have that payoff of that underdog overcoming, you know, the bullies and the villains. And all of this is important to do that, you know, the, the end result's not going to be Mickey going over, what you think. Could you imagine if Roman Reigns put a walker in Brock Lesnar's locker room? What do you think would, would happen there? There would be a walker. In the next segment, there would be a walker hanging out of Roman Reigns' ass. But that's literally what they're doing here with the women's division. So all you guys that want to sit and talk about the women's revolution, 
That's that's where we're at. We're putting walkers in Brock Lesnar's locker room, AJ Styles' locker room. This goes back to what I had been just screaming since this, this revol- so-called revolution began. Just doing something because you can do it and putting that revolution stamp on it doesn't mean that they are being treated as equals and given opportunity until their programs and their characters are taken seriously and given those same opportunities, it's nothing but a PR ploy and a joke. This is way more divas' revolution than it is women's revolution. That's for sure. And you know, one, I, was, I did have a crazy thought here. I would put Nikki James over in this damn thing. I'd give her the title, and I'd set up for the one-year anniversary of Oscar James for the Survivor Series weekend. Oscar and Mickey do have history. There is no, that. You can play off of that. That was, it was a year ago, correct? Yeah. Well, it would be a year around a Survivor Series weekend, and that was a great match. It they was a given, great match. They were given 10, 12 minutes there. Give them 18, 20, see what the hell they can do, and you're going to see what some real women's wrestling is about. You, you want respect for your revolution? That's how you do it right there. Mickey James and Oscar. So on this show, we got Mickey James and Nia Jax. Uh, I, I felt like they almost put Mickey over a little too strong in this match. I felt like this match definitely hurt Nia. Probably more than it helped Mickey. Well, I think that Nia just became a pawn at this time. I don't really have anything to do with her because they... Well, and that's know, the thing is we've been building Nia Jax for months... And then Mickey hasn't been on TV for months. And then they basically made it to where it looks like Mickey James is going to win that match. And they have Mickey win without pinning Nia. So at least they protected Nia there. But there's no doubt Mickey James was going to win that match. Well, you're, you're, you're nitpicking at an entire set, two segments here. That just started out as a pile of shit and ended as a pile of shit. This whole thing should have been scrapped and given a new direction. You know, they, I don't think they ever should have even had a match. There should have just been some kind of altercation backstage. You could have, you could have Nia inflict all the pain, leaving Mickey James brought out on the concrete, and then bring in Bliss, kind of, you know, over, you know, afterwards. Just mocking her. You know, it's just coming in to clean up the straps or something along this line. This past Monday, after Raw, I believe it was, they put up a Asuka collection on the network. Kind of started working my way through that. She has had some awesome matches. I really like the way that they're really pushing Asuka straight out the gate here. I still think that Vince and Kevin Dunn dropped the ball. And within 90 days, she loses her first match on Raw. And they, they have mixed up the promos that they're running for her now. They, you know, they do have the other women superstars putting her over how amazing she is. I, I'm not sure if I exactly like the approach they're going with it, having all the other females do it, instead of you know going back and playing the package from NXT when she left there. Or just the narrative over the actual action itself. 
but they have shifted gears away from the, the, the cool yet non-informative promos that they were running for. So then we skip a bunch of content from Raw that absolutely didn't matter. And we go back to Miz and Roman. Again, what is your main program running through the evening? Kind of indicates that they've given up on that third hour. You know, this thing gets going about, you know, about 15 minutes left to go in that second hour. Well, this is the main event. That's the main event spot now. This is the main event spot, correct. This is your biggest, your biggest draw on the show is going to get back my time here in the East at 945 to 10.15 o'clock. Uh, for those curious, last night's episode of Monday, or Monday night's episode of Raw drew a 1.93 live and same night DVR down just a little bit from 1.97 and the same as two weeks ago. Uh, last year it was 1.92, so they're at least they're holding steady. Uh, first hour, 2.945 million viewers. Second hour, 2.756. Third hour, 2.619. How ironic, 2.619. So, this year, or this week, we're down 326,000 in the third hour. So, at least Enzo held about another 200,000 people than he has the last couple weeks. Go to 5G, baby. Keep them tuned in. So, the Miz Taraj is out. The bar is in. Does this program appeal to you more or less than the Miz and the Miz-Taraj versus the Shield? We're looking at Kiko. I like how this match is laid out. Not necessarily the technical aspect, but from a storyline point, you know it worked for me. You know, Roman comes out, shows that he's got, he's got some kind of brain or that big old Samoan noggin. He realized the numbers last week were against him. They got the best of him. So he was smart enough, before he got in that ring, before the ball ring, to, to make sure he could even the odds, get that playing field even. So I, I liked it there. And then he also adds a little bit of intrigue to this match. I mean, we all know Miz. He's always got a plan B and a plan C. But the way this was set up, you know, it gave some doubt, or at least it, it caused the viewers to become more invested in how the Miz, how the hell is he going to survive this, or we're supposed to see a new chance tonight. The Miz is so good that people were actually cheering Roman Reigns during that match. That was my big takeaway. That's how good The Miz is. The Miz actually got Roman Reigns cheered during the match. I expected that to be a completely pro-Miz crowd. He knows how to work them. And even when they do start turning in his favor, he is so quick to snap back and remind them, hey, you hate me. I'm, I'm a bad guy over here. So, I'm assuming at TLC, we're going to have The Shield versus Miz and The Bar. Much better than Miz and The Miz Tourage, at least from a physical aspect. Look, if, if you're going to insist on going forward with this thing, I'm, I'm so glad that they realize that Axel and Dallas aren't at that level. They're not ready for something like that enough. That's not to say they still can't be involved here. Because, let's be honest, you're still taking on Roman Reigns, Seth Rollins, Dean Ambrose. If you can have a five-on-three number game, then you do it all you can. 
Do you think it's any coincidence that Cesaro finds himself in a program with Roman Reigns now? I don't. I don't think it's a coincidence at all. I would be curious if this was a, you know, if they were planning this, this is a long-term planning that they had, or this is a recent, hey, these guys have been impressive, we need to elevate them here a little bit. I'm more intrigued than I was, but I'm still not in on the Shield reunion thing. Hey, and go back to some of the foreshadowing from the first segment. Ambrose comes out, you know, Ambrose came out to sell help. Rollins there. They both get devastated by Braun. So they're in the back looking their wounds, which makes sense why they wouldn't come out here now to make any kind of save to get a little revenge against the boss. I'm with you until the end of the show. When, when they finally do the big shield tease at the end of the show, and Dean walks in with his thumbs in his pockets, and then Seth walks in. Yeah, to me, that... They both could have been selling a hell of a lot more than they were. I would like to see some bandages. You know, just showing, you know, a little bit more that you've been banged up. They, all, they always overlook that shit. I, I'm surprised that they even had the sense to withhold them here for this. Well, the yeah, thing that didn't make any sense to me was why was there a camera filming Roman Reigns at that moment? It's the Roman cam. They always got him back in the locker room. I mean, just simple things like that inside of the narrative. Like, why would we go to that shot to close out the show? Inside of the narrative, it doesn't make any sense. I get what they're trying to shoot for that cliffhanger there. I, I, just, I think I could have done without that entire closing segment. I would have let things be at this point here. I mean, it was fine for what it was. I'm I'm not on board with a S.H.I.E.L.D. reunion at this point. But if well, for I what would, it was, it was fine. It was just, why would that happen? Well, at this point, hopefully next week they come out and explain why they couldn't be out there to help him. You know, you know they come in that, and that eye contact is saying, all right, they got us, they got you. You know, maybe we bury this shit. Maybe we all come back together again. Well, this is obviously going to work in the micro. The fans are eating this thing up, regardless of how I feel about it. People are going crazy. I, I agree with you 100%. This is not the right time or place. So you know, it, it works inside. To blow their world right now. It works inside of the micro. Is this going to work in a macro sense? Is this program really going to benefit these three guys? Because I don't see this being a long-term program. I mean, unless unless uh, Cesaro and Sheamus are actually going to align with the Miz, which doesn't make any sense. So if you're expecting a fifth man to go down at TLC, you know, in my mind, the TLC is just a stopgap for them. And they're already starting to plan here for Survivor Series. And we talked off-air about this. You see Braun and Brock get involved with these two sides for a traditional four-on-four? I just... 
I could understand it from Braun's aspect. I can't understand why Brock would align with the shield under any circumstances. That's my, my issue with, with the pitch. Does it necessarily have to go that way? I mean, there is a, it's, it's quite obvious there is a major agenda. Everything we can here to get Roman Reigns cheered. And then... And Braun Strowman is getting massive pop. Between him and Balor, the two biggest pop crowd reactions on the roster right now. They could stop. They could. They might slide Braun onto that Shield team and put Brock over with the other, with the other side, with the Miz and the Bar. I'm at least intrigued. I'm at least intrigued where they go with this program. Speaking of uh, Finn Balor. We have to talk about the Finn Balor Bray Wyatt segment or segments because first earlier in the show, you get the crazy Bray Wyatt promo and then you get Balor coming out to respond and then you get whatever we got out of Bray Wyatt and it lit the internet on fire. What did you think of the segment before we talk about the fallout here? The first segment, though, or every just just Balor and Wyatt in general, the promo itself. What what I saw on Monday night, I'll come out and say it here. I got I, I'm almost got like a pledge going here. I got my hand raised in the air. I don't know if you see it. I don't know what the hell I'm even doing it, but I, I'm almost going 180 here. I am now officially and finally somewhat interested in this program between Bray Wyatt and Finn Balor. Well, this entire program, you have been on Wyatt's side and I have been on the Balor side. I'm ready yeah. for this program to be over with. Yeah, I think what I'm most excited about here is that we're finally going to get, and you've even admitted this, and you've brought it up multiple times, that you're starting to see more of that true villain of character out of Bray, and it's working. Well, number one, I think Tom Savini is back working at the WWE. For those who don't know, Tom Savini is a horror movie legend. That entire Bray Wyatt promo just screamed Tom Savini to me. Well, hopefully they've reached out to him and they're, you know, they're picking his brain and he's getting some stuff because it's only going to really help move this along. Yeah. You know, kind of go back to what, what we're assuming is going to be the evolution here of Bray. I know I'm not the only person that said this, but I've been on, on board with this since day one you know, in the mindset that Sister Abigail should never become its own physical character. I've always maintained the best route for this Abigail being is as an alter ego festering in the subconscious of Bray himself. And it seems like that's the direction they're going. Uh, when Wyatt first cut that promo, the internet went ablaze over who's going to be Sister Abigail. And there was everybody from Paige thrown out, Rosemary put out a tweet that seemed very homage-ish 
to the Sister Abigail storyline. Then Sage Beckett puts out a tweet very homageish to the Sister Abigail storyline. And now Ryan Satin is reporting this is basically going to be Bray and Drag. That's what it sounds like it's going to be. So many many fans get hung up on on the idea that the being has to be a, a physical female and a sister or mother figure to Bray. If the Bray Wyatt character is a systematic bastard, you have to get in his mind, you have to relate yourself to some, you know, to psychopaths, to murderers, and cult leaders. Wyatt speaks in riddles. He always has an underlying objective that typically flies right over the lowest common denominator booking audience's head. And I think, you know, if you're talking about, you know, if they're reaching out to some people that can really help out, they really do the research, you know, maybe let Bray just almost run with this thing. If done properly, this could be something really special. People complain about how Bray Wyatt is treated, as well they should, because he is one of the most unprotected people inside of the company. But look at how fast you can rehab Bray Wyatt. One promo. And suddenly, he's setting the internet ablaze. This is why he's not protected in the booking. Because he's that good. He's got that character on point. It just sucks that every time he starts to get pushed, he gets hurt. I think this damages Balor quite a bit. Uh, I was really hoping that they were going to spin him off into something else. And he's stuck here with Bray Wyatt again. And it looks like, I mean, Wyatt has to win this match. Otherwise, this is absolutely pointless, right? Oh, yeah, at this point, when you, know, when you line up with this new transformation of Wyatt, possibly, you know, at some point he's going to have to take on the demon. You know, it's going to be Abigail versus the demon. With this new introduction... And you just completely chip a bed if you if you don't have wife go over here. But I think beating the demon is a terrible idea too. I mean, that should be one of their most protected characters at this point. You can beat Balor whenever you want, but don't beat the demon. Because when you beat the demon, it completely loses its effect. Well, it's gonna be it's gonna be difficult not to, to pull the demon out. The demon character out. Oh, it has to. You got to have them both all painted up and shit. You, you know, you just suggested that Bray can bounce back from almost anything. I, I'm on, I agree with you there 100%, but I also say that holds true for, for Bauer because he's so damn popular right now that no, they're not going to give up on him. You know, the fans aren't going to give up on him. And he could easily take a step back here and then it's heading into 2018, it's easily jump two steps forward Let's move on to the end of the show with Enzo and the Cruiserweights. What did you think of Enzo's promo? Uh, Enzo Enzo did what Enzo does. He held his own there. I just think overall that the segment fell, fell flat, especially compared to last week. You know, it was the same song and dance. The other cruiserweights added really nothing here. And then that big surprise announcement again, 
with chorizo, man, it was just a, it was a damn swing and a miss. How flat did that fall? Wow. And I don't think it did him any favors that they, on Monday, they changed his damn music. And, and on Tuesday, he was back to his old music. They reverted right back. Someone, someone picked up on that real quick, like, whoa. Who's that music hit? You know, people are looking around like, what the hell is going on? Well, as soon as his music hit, I thought TJP was coming out. And then I was like, wait a minute, TJP's already in the ring. What the hell's going on? Uh, I guess immediately when Angle was talking, there was a huge electricity burst like through the crowd. Because everybody was ready for somebody like a Johnny Gargano or a returning Rey Mysterio. You know, and, and I'm hoping for me, you know, I'm hoping I'm ready to pop like a Pete Dunn. You know, any, anybody. And you get Kalisto. Number one, why does Kurt Angle have to re-sign Kalisto when he's already on Raw? What well, then he's done you let him out of that, I guess technically. You let him out of his raw contract so you could sign him to a 205 live contract and then you present him as your newest signing. And last night they were like, Kalisto debuts. Kalisto's been around for fucking years. What the hell are you talking about? That's what I think. They, I don't think they really understood the wording. They were just hoping that some of those buzzwords like new signing, free agent, debut were, were going to take off. They could have they really got around a lot of those buzzwords that didn't make a whole lot of sense. But, you know, having Kirk come out here, yeah, there's one guy that hasn't been involved in 205. He's going to, he's on the roll roster now, he'll be focusing on the 205, the cruiserweight division. And, and then, I don't know, and then you start with the weaker stuff. Immediately, you got people chanting. That's, that's what people love to do. That's why there are people that are so confused that Enzo is a good guy, is a face here, because they all, you get people to channel along with him. Oh, Enzo's full-on heel. If there, if anybody has any question, Enzo's a heel now. There, there are still some fans out there that are questioning it. I've seen it on the daily. But they're confusing the crowd interaction with his alliance. Does Kalisto versus Enzo do anything for anyone? I mean, the the highlight of Kalisto's career was that match against Braun Strowman, and he got absolutely destroyed. Oh, which one, man? I the one he won. He won that dumpster match. But we talk about these moments in history, like we were talking a couple of weeks ago when Kevin Nash threw Rey Mysterio like a lawn dart. And forever, that's how Rey Mysterio was going to be remembered before he had his big run back through WWE in 2002. Man, you ask the crew I run with, they don't remember none of that 2002 shit. We just remember Rondart uh, Rat. Can Kalisto be rehabilitated like Ray was? I'm not completely sure this is the right direction for him. Even when he got in the ring and hit some of those moves, that crowd was still sitting on their hands. I think this is just a bit of filler. I would like to see the conclusion with, with Neville and then move on at that point. Quote of the night, I put more asses in seats than Lazy Boy. 
That was the quote of the night. That was that was the line of the week. Especially when I read a story today that the reason AJ Styles hasn't been wrestling on SmackDown Live is because they're using him for the dark match so people will stick around for 205 Live. That, that, that story, when I first read it... That I blew my goddamn mind. I didn't so much of it, and then it just began to like fester in my mind. And I just grew, by the moment, just by the thought, more and more irritated by the damn logic behind that decision. You're going to go ahead and, and sacrifice a faltering program at this point to hold two people over for 205 that has essentially been dead from the get-go. It always reminds me of going back to why they were holding, to an extent, holding Nakamura off television for all those months. You need viewers, you need a focal point on your main presentation. Give it to us. Anything else from Raw that you felt the need that we needed to talk about? Yeah, we already talked. We already got kind of disappointed on it. You know, we just started some SmackDown talk. But I want to let's just shift our moods and just get into the blue brand. Feeling blue with the blue brand. So this is the go-home show for Hell in a Cell. The incredibly over-scripted, much filler packages show for Hell in a Cell. This might be the worst go-home show I've ever seen. Right now, the, the blue brand is more painful than blue ball. It hit back. This, this episode sucked. Man, it was just the bottom of the barrel. Remember when SmackDown was the better show? When AJ Styles was the star of SmackDown. It's crazy that it seems like it was so long ago, doesn't it? Well, and here's the thing. When I look at the card for Hell in a Cell, this should be an awesome show. Rusev and Orton, Rude and Ziggler, Styles and Corbin, Natalia and Charlotte, Usos and New Day, Nakamura winning the title, Owens and Shane, Hell in a Cell. That reads like an awesome card. They've had six weeks to build to this amazing card. And we were talking earlier today. I couldn't believe it when you told me last week we talked about SmackDown for 15 minutes. And you're like, you know, we haven't had a good SmackDown talk in weeks. And it's like there hasn't been a good episode of SmackDown in weeks. Well, the problem is... They've made it quite clear. Hell in a Cell is a one-trick thing. All the eggs have been put in chains and chaos baskets. And everything else is just put on the back burner. And it reads like it should be a good show. Like, I expect some really good matches on this show. It's just the build to it's been terrible. Well, I'm, I'm looking forward to the in-ring action on Sunday. But, you know, what makes any event watchable, enjoyable, to exciting and entertaining is the backstories that get you invested. I normally ask you to rate the show on a scale of 1 to 10. I'm going to do something a little bit different with this one. Are you more excited for Hell in a Cell than you were 
before last night or less excited for Hell in a Cell before you were last night? Oh, I am way, way less excited for, for this upcoming event. There were some logic holes in this show that just baffled me. Just baffled me. Rather than running through SmackDown, I'm just going to run down the card. We'll use this also as a, a primer for Hell in a Cell. Uh, we might as well start at the top. Uh, how did you feel about the Owens and Shane segment? Uh, like you said, this is a one-trick pony show. Owens and Shane is going to draw all the money on this show. Did they do anything to move network subs last night in your mind? I, I do kind of like the physical interaction between the two, but what just completely turned me off here is during Shane and Matt, and he's cutting his promo in the ring. It almost felt non, like a nonchalant, nonchalantly just shows out there that now they're going to announce that this is going to be a, a fall count anywhere. Tell them it's all Matt. Well, I that. It's kind of like, yeah. I've got a rant in me about this one. I was talking to Jersey Mike about this last night. And I said, Falls Count Anywhere? And he's like, yeah, it's going to be awesome. And I was like, what? Falls Count Anywhere? You've just spent... So when you look at SmackDown as a whole, you just spent an hour and 45 minutes talking about how when you're locked in the cell, there's no way out. Usos in New Day, only two of you is going to be in the ring. The other one can't get in. It's the whole point of a cage match, is you're locked inside the cage. False count anywhere, all they did was just blow the finish of the goddamn match. Spoiler alert, the finish of this match is not going to happen in the fucking ring. Absolutely what did, idiotic. What did you know, right, right, right when I, when I heard that announcement, you know, in my mind, I'm thinking, someone, someone call Fonzie, or hell, even call Finn Balor, the WWE Fonzie, someone to fire up his motorcycle, because when you, when you gimmick out a gimmick, it's a sign that that match has jumped the freaking shark. Absolutely ridiculous. It just made absolutely no goddamn sense. It's like they legitimately could not figure out a way for this match to end in the ring. So they tried to give themselves an out. I don't know. A lot of it could be that they're running out of things to do. Exiting. I mean, how many matches have actually stayed within the cage in the hell itself? Right. That which is understood does not need to be stated. Oh, I don't know. It's, it's just blatant. It's just that we're going back to that blinking pandering. We're, you know, low-level storytelling. You can't let people figure things out for themselves here. So after the big Shane announcement that it's going to be Falls Count anywhere, Owens appears out of the Shield entrance, like there should have been a camera filming Roman Reigns just sitting backstage there. Yeah, they have to actually... What did you think of the brawl through the... I See, and... I mean, what do you think that that match is going to end on top of the cage now? You couldn't have a hell of a cell match and then end it... Oh, Shane McMahon's going to get his Mick Foley moment. He's going to get thrown off the cage. That's why I did this, because they know... 
they're running out of things to do in a hell of a cell. They might not even be, if they were just a, a standard hell in the cell and they left the two, the two matches, if those athletes go at it, the tag match would probably be five times better than what we would see in the single match. Oh, I expect the tag match to be five times better than what we're going to see in the singles match. Well, they're going to handcuff the shit out of it. They might not even get out of the game. Those guys are going to, just to hammer home that point of how important it is that they can get out and go anywhere around that arena, they're going to make the tag team stay within that cage. See, I did not like the physicality between Owens and Shane this week. I think they did too much. I think they showed way too much. I would have just done a talking segment this week. I would have had the physicality be between Shinsuke and Jinder, not what we got between Shinsuke and Jinder. I'm just thinking the KO, the Shane program. The reason I like the physicality this week is because I've been, I've been going so much for the last couple weeks and we really haven't gotten it. If I would have got some, some good TV building up to this point, I wouldn't have needed it at all in this episode. Kevin Owens already beat the shit out of Vince McMahon. What more do you need? I want some more fire and anger out of Shane. I don't believe he's got it in him right now. You mean when he comes walking out to the ring and he says, What's up, Denver? You don't get the impression that he's a man possessed, ready to kill Kevin Owens? Fear, sexual fear. You're a master. If I was Owens, I'd be shaking in my boots. The, the thing that really bugged me in watching the street fight aspect of that entire sequence. Did you notice that they had all of the people out on the concourse behind barriers? Like it, they had cleared it out for them. That's not I, organic. I, I really didn't pick up on that they had actual barriers there. Why wasn't but, there anybody shopping at the merch stand? I realized that, I mean, everyone was a good, how at least, what, 30, 40 feet away from the action? I mean, for God's sake, just put some goddamn extras up there or something. You know, they don't have to be real fans. You got seat then, fillers. Put them up there. You could also tell that they were staying away from the other vendors, too. They got oh. into, they, they bumped into that ice cream cart next to them. And I was thinking, are they going to really pay someone for a damage to stop there or something like that? But then they just stuck with their own. So. That, you know, that, that's the small detail. That really takes away from a segment like that. They just tried to do too much. Save that for Sunday. Falls count anywhere I want to sell. My God. Unfortunately, I think the show got worse. Jinder Mahal take 137. This, This is just getting so bad. Even how they, how they present this, I know this irritated you to no end when they come out and announce that Nakamura is going to open the show with an interview. There are a million things you could do to get Shinsuke Nakamura over. This is the one that you don't. Number one, they got him out in the ring talking like he's a four-year-old. Sticks right. and stones may break my bones, but your words will never hurt me? What the fuck? You're Shinsuke Nakamura. <laughs> He's reciting fucking nursery rhymes. What the fuck? My pitch was to put my favorite wrestler, Tyler Breeze, in the ring with Shinsuke Nakamura. And Tim Shinsuke just kicked the shit out of him. 
If he's going to do this to Tyler Breeze, a guy that he has absolutely no problem with, what in the hell is he going to do to Jinder Mahal on Sunday? That would have done more for Shinsuke than this terrible segment. Two cheesy ass lines before he's quickly interrupted. Just by Mahone, the boys. Everything, even the interaction between them in the ring, it seemed really awesome. It seemed awkward. That was just a terrible, terrible segment. Jinder Mahal now at 137 days as WWE champion. 137 days is longer than any title reign that Roman Reigns has had. Is there any chance that Jinder retains this title? Shinsuke's taking this title Sunday, right? Right. I, I want to say yes. But there has been no... The way this has been presented and filled up, there's no fanfare around it. There's, there's no excitement. There's, there's no intensity. I could see that lots of things. And, you know, it's just food by this. we got some other big matches on this card. I almost feel like this might open the show. I was jo- I was joking up in, in some chat. This stuff has been so bad. It's on par with the with the pre-show match. And then when I saw the, the pre-show match, it's the Hype Brothers versus Gable and Benjamin. I almost buy more into the story between that hype turn and the pencil between those teams as a legit contest that, I, that I'm interested in than I do the, the goddamn WWE Championship program. That poor title. Please, God, put that belt on Shinsuke and restore a little bit of dignity to it. Jinder Mahal, thanks for coming. This has been a miserable failure. Just a miserable failure. New Day and the Usos. I thought this was actually uh, the highlight of the show. I thought the Usos promo was really, really good. I normally kind of go off about over-scripted promos, but it works for the Usos and the New Day because you know that they work on this stuff. It's presented in a different kind of medium than a typical promo is. You know the Usos are backstage working on this stuff. I thought their promo was great. Didn't really care for the New Days. But the Usos stole the show for me last night. No doubt MVP of last night's SmackDown Live goes to the Usos. Great promo. Some of the better work. That actually actually raised my level of interest in this match. What we got from the New Day was a a lot of the same old, same old. But even they... Even they then turned it a little bit, let you know that this matter should be taken serious. Now, they're, they're ready to step inside this cell and hurt one another and put this baby to rest and they, the best team emerge the victors. I believe that the Usos want to beat the shit out of the New Day. I believe that. Well, what's so good here is... Their characters are so drastically different. 
Oh, they have come so far. The Usos have come so far. Just, just from the New Day, the New Day characters versus the Uso characters are polar opposites of one another. That's why it works. Because you can believe it, and then, and then when they both went serious on turned serious on one one another last night, it takes it to another level. I, I know I've said in the past I was a little down on this. I thought they just throwing the gimmick on this because we've already seen a handful of gimmick matches between these two squads that. The flame was was burning out for me. I'll admit that I, I've changed my tune, and I know these guys are going to bring it in the ring. I'm looking forward to this one. This, I think, is your potential show stealer of the night. The only knock, the only knock on it is they might be seriously handcuffed, not to outshine. Yeah, but athletically, both of those two teams can do so much more than what Shane McMahon or Kevin Owens can do. I think I think there's going to be some crazy spots in this match that Owens and Shane just couldn't begin to try to choreograph together because none of if them have the athleticism of a Kofi Kingston. If they're allowed to, I mean, they might be. They, they'll probably green light them for one or two. I have a feeling when this when this match is done, we're, we're going to say it was a good match, but we're going to be questioning and wondering if there could have been so much more. And I'm thinking back to last year's Hell in the Cell, where the where the early Hell in the Cell matches seemed handcuffed so that they could, you know, put that real spotlight on Charlotte and Banks. That was last year, correct? Yeah. Yep. You had two other set home cell matches on that card that team handcuffed to make sure that the bright lights were shining on, on the women in that position. Can we go back to Hell in a Cell being a match and not being a pay-per-view? Bring back Halloween Havoc and change this around. Same thing with Money yeah. in the Bank. All you need is Halloween Havoc and, blab- and Bad Blood for your, your event in October and apply the cage if needed. If not, then, then move on. It shouldn't be a requirement every year. Natalia and Charlotte, how did you feel about your precious Shar Shar tapping out in the middle of the ring to Natalia and the sharpshooter? Man, I, I was hurt inside. I was really, really hurting that. I'm gonna take a I take a moment, kinda of gather myself, couple some breath, hold it all in and just remind myself that better days are coming. Well is this the first time that that Natalia's gotten her? Did she pick up any wins like non title wins in her feud? Is it a women's championship? Is it a, the Raw Women's Championship or the General Women's Championship? I can't recall. I, I don't know. I'm pretty sure this is the first time she's got it at that. It might be. It might be. It's been a while since we've seen a Natalia and Charlotte program. I'm trying to remember if there were just any weird but, one-off I'm, matches between I'm, the two. I'm, I'm sure that somewhere in that two-month program they had, 
Yeah, 50-50 booking. But I don't ever remember her making Charlotte tap. That was my only thing, was I wasn't opposed to Natalia getting one over on Charlotte, but I wasn't sure that I liked Charlotte tapping in the middle of the ring. I didn't take a lot away from it. And the, you know, I was actually going to hit or miss. I, I said I, I, it was a hit because I, I, I want to see where this is going. I, I'm, I'm still going to hold with that hit. I still want to see where this is going. I'm, I'm hoping that this program pulls me in because I know it's just getting started. Yeah, but, I'm but with I, you. I don't think Charlotte's taking this title Sunday. I think they're saving that for Starcade. That's what I, I pitched you there before, but you know, there's still so much. And it seems like a lot of this talk with the MMA horsewoman is, is chilled. I did see Baszler is officially signed and reported to the Performance Center yesterday. We've got that in the books, but you know, it looks like the third is going to move forward with her at NFT. She does need that. She needs to work on some policy in there. But I think they're going to hold to that Starcade event. They want something big there. Now, I think it's going to be Hooker Crook that Natalia walked out, you know, come Sunday. Oh, agreed. I don't even expect a clean finish. What did you think of the uh, interaction between Carmella and Natalia in this match? Carmella is just kind of there for me. I find her more of an annoyance than a reputable character on the show. Whenever Carmella comes on my screen, I just kind of tune out. And I think most of that's because of Ellsworth. I'm just, I'm sick of Ellsworth. I'm a little, you know, the way that, that they've been handling her since winning the briefcase, she's really lost a lot of steam. She went into that match. She was getting great reactions. She was showing that she might be able to move up into that upper echelon and, you know, hang there for a little while. It just like cooled off so much with her. It's almost an afterthought that she is carrying around that briefcase. It's almost like she just needs to cash in already just to remain relevant. It'll be interesting how they have this all play out. I mean, one positive with the case is it does have that element of passion storylines together. I'm still not a big fan of, of using it to elevate a town and to move titles. And I guess it, it keeps them on the toes, I guess it's right. So that brings us to the U.S. title feud. You have Ty Dillinger defeating Baron Corbin on SmackDown before Baron Corbin faces AJ Styles on Sunday for the U.S. title. And it doesn't look like Dillinger is going to be added to this match. Yeah, I was really surprised that we didn't get that announcement. I really thought this was going towards a triple threat, and I was invested in that program. I'm not invested at all in Corbin versus Styles. I am completely out on Corbin. I'm past the character. And it would take a whole lot to bring me back around on him. I think you're wasting Styles' time here. This is a bullshit filler program for him. But as you said, I, I could have found something to invest in. Because I, I know the match itself 
would have been elevated. Well, and that's the thing is, I'm not even sure that Styles and Corbin will be that great of a match. I'd much rather see Dillinger in there just so you can get some sequences between Dillinger and Styles. I mean, I'm sure Styles will make Corbin look good, but... I just say, this is going to be a true test to just how good Styles is. He carried Shane McMahon to a four-star match. I'm pretty sure he can do something with Baron Corbin. Shane McMahon seems a whole lot more athletic than, than Corbin to me. I, I, I just don't see anything from this guy right now. Nothing about him is impressing me. Extreme superstar. I've been and, high on Baron Corbin ever since NXT, but I'm not sure I've ever been lower on him than I am right now. The other thing that really stood out to me about this match was the post-match promo that AJ cut on Corbin. Which was obviously a pre-tape. But... Take me back. Refresh my memory. It's just done as Styles reacting to Corbin losing to Dillinger. Which is fine, but AJ is speaking in this crazy monologue that nobody talks like that. Nobody talks for a paragraph uh, at a time I, unless you live I, I, in the I, Kevin Smith universe. I got you. Now. I remember it. I, I think when it went to it, I, I don't know why. I mean, he's AJ fan. I usually pay attention. I think I just go down on this program that I kind of just like zoned out for a moment. Nobody talks like that. Jesus. Bobby Roode, Dolph Ziggler, coming up at uh, Hell in a Cell. Last night we get Bobby Roode versus Mike Kanellis. Uh, the ship has clearly sailed on Mike Kanellis. He didn't even get his entrance last night. No mention of Maria. He's, oh, they did. They did he's, he's in Kurt Hawkins' territory now. They did mention it. They mentioned the department team that. Oh, did they? I guess I totally, I must have yep. zoned out. They give a quick shout out to it. Bobby Roode beats him in like, Three minutes. Well, I was going to say it was easy to miss because he was only on he was only on the television for like three and a half four minutes. Then Ziggler comes out and does his shtick. I still think it would have been better and done more for Bobby Roode if he would have actually done Dolph Ziggler's entrance this week. That would have cracked me up. What did you I, think of the exchange between Bobby Roode and Dolph Ziggler? I like the actual exchange. That worked for me. Now, Ziggler's entrance will stop. They kind of almost soured everything. It's just bad TV. Who wants to watch it, that? It, 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 it's not funny. It's not sad. It's just kind of a pathetic, creative attempt. It's it, it like the live the live act, I don't know what you want to call them live act, the live shows that are on Nickelodeon. You have, you have kids, especially a little one, that's on Disney or Nickelodeon. I mean, the setup and the gags, they're just, you know, people are accused of, of stealing ideas from like Springer and Molly and the other trash television. It's just, you're just ripping this shit right off Nickelodeon Disney channel. It's just sad. And the worst part is, is I'm really looking forward to this match. I think this is going to be a really good match. I'm looking forward to it. I hope, I hope they at least get 10 solid minutes 
these guys are going to go out there and show you what they can do. And, and they're going to they're prove that they, they deserve more from the company. Here's two other guys that deserve more from the company. Randy Orton and Rusev. I can't believe that we're this far into the show. And I haven't wished you a happy Rusev Day, Rick. Happy Rusev Day. I am loving what Rusev is doing. Randy Orton, please God, just turn him heel again. Should I go crush a few beers? In honor of Rusev Day? I don't really drink that much anymore. There you go. I appreciate that. Thanks for looking out. I, I, I like this program. I, obviously, they could have done some more, some more with it, but it never became like an annoyance. Kind of there. You got two good talents. I'm really hoping for a double turn here. I like it. I like it a lot. I, I definitely would get down with that hand. I'm I'm ready for uh, Rusev Day T-shirts and Rusev Day celebrations and people to chant for Rusev Day. And I'm ready for Randy Orton to go back to be an evil motherfucker, Randy Orton. And the thing is, as much as people love Orton, the guy is the guy's so good at just being a dick. Because, I mean, from all accounts, that's, that's what he is. That's what he, he likes being kind of a, you know, I don't, I don't give a shit. I'm here for myself thing. I don't need this kind of attitude. You get it from him when he interacts. On social media with some fans and all that. It's in, it's in his personality. He enjoys it. It's in his sense of humor. Uh, I'm, I'm down with it 100% here. Man. What do you feel? I'm trying to think in my mind if I have any fond babyface Randy Orton memories. And I think all of my favorite memories of Randy Orton are heel. Yep. Uh, 100%, man. I, 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 I'm glad you said that. You kind of... You kind of got me even more excited for this match now. I'm going to be sitting on the edge just hoping that you are right. I, I've never wanted you to be more more correct ever in my life, young guy. Give me the double turn. Give me the double turn. You will. And then there was the most outrageous atrocity ever committed in the history of television on this show. I'm not talking about Jinder and Nakamura. I'm not talking about Owens and Shane. Where the fuck are the fashion police? They advertised for a week that my favorite wrestler was going to be back on TV this week, only to tell me that he's going to be at Hell in a Cell. That's the only reason I'm going to watch Hell in a Cell, is so I can see me some Tyler Breeze and Fandango. What the hell was that shit? You better be there for the pre-show, right? I got a feeling that's where they're going to air. Oh, I will be so goddamn mad. And and you and you're saying you're not talking about Mahal or the Owens and Shane feud. Oh yeah, you are because Fashion Police got buffed so that Cinder could have two segments, one for his setup and one as a recap. Then we could have two promo packages for Owens and Shane plus their entire segment. So that yes. You are talking about them because they bumped your boy. And three, Dana Warrior and the Susan B. Coleman Foundation, which is a rant that I am not going to make public. But what a bunch of shit. 
so many amendments. So that was SmackDown. Do you have any other notes coming out of SmackDown that you wanted to talk about? Uh, this episodes were good last night. That kind of got me through that two-hour time slot. I was not a fan of SmackDown this week. Like I said, I think that might be the worst go-home show I've ever seen. But I am excited for the pay-per-view, just so I can see Tyler Breeze. Coming up on Saturday, we're going to do another Around the Pool edition, doing how we would book Hell in a Cell. Are you excited to uh, bust out your creative chops for how you would book Hell in a Cell, Rick? You know, it's going to be cold as hell sitting around that pool up there this time of year. I think they're only expecting it to be uh, like low to mid sixty. It's going to be awful cold in Cleveland after my Yankees whip the Indians' ass. Uh, hold on, we'll get to that later in the show. But back to the back to the point at hand. I'm, I'm down. I'm down on the field. I'm down on this week's episode of SmackDown. I'm going to keep my head high because, as you said, this is a hell of a lineup on paper. Open that belt. Got creative through there. Old road dog gets his head out of his ass and it's beta liver that they deliver from this Sunday. I'm excited for the matches, but the creative behind them has been just awful. And as you said here, you know, they might it might be the calm before the storm. As you've been as you've been pumping up, this could be a very crucial show in the direction that SmackDown's gonna be heading here for the next for the next six months. The build to WrestleMania starts Sunday. I think. I think the, the serious build to WrestleMania starts on Sunday for the blue brand. I'm very anxious to see what they do. Because they got to yeah. do something. And that, that right there, my friend, that belief is enough to keep us hanging on. Keep hope alive. So that was the WWE this week. On the back half of segment two, we've got a little bit more WWE talk about some live events. Coming up in the second segment, we also uh, got some New Japan cease and desist. Ultima Lucha, GFW, Total Divas, the NWA, all kinds of shit. Stick around, we'll be right back. Today. 
trouble understanding it. This right here is just a little like the management. So if you're mad, then I'm talking to you. This right here is what I need you to do. Back for segment two, talking a little bit of news going on inside the world of professional wrestling. We got to start with the Young Bucks and the cease and desist. What do you make of this story, Rick? And this has been getting, getting some, uh, some great buzz going, hasn't it? Holy cow. The Young Bucks are on fire right now. Well, and, I, and I think a lot of this, you know, they, they're fully capitalizing on this. As they always do. You know, they're taking chicken shit in the chicken salad here. But I think this, that the fans out there, especially within the internet wrestling community, they're making a lot more out of this than it really should have been. Oh, I completely agree. I completely agree. So for those who haven't been following along, the Young Bucks YouTube series, Being the Elite, they have been teasing that the WWE has hit them with a cease and desist for weeks now. Last week after the Bullet Club invaded Monday Night Raw, the WWE did hit them with a cease and desist for the too sweet hand gesture as well as the words too sweet. I think there's a couple of misconceptions out there. People are saying, oh, they can't do the hand gesture anymore. Well, no, they can well, they can't say too sweet anymore. Well, no, they can. They just can't put it on a t-shirt and sell it at Hot Topic. That's what a lot of people don't understand. That they don't understand the right behind intellectual property and turning, quickly turning a profit, marketing and using something that you don't have the rights to. The best way I can explain this is when you listen to a band live, they can play cover songs. The second they want to record a cover song and then sell that cover song, they have to pay the original artist rights. That's very much along the same lines as what we're talking here. Little side note on that, you know, your groups like your ASCAP, that monitor, the lot, you know, the playing of others' music, yep. copyright music. They're starting to crack down a little bit, even on your cover band. You know, they want their cut, even if, even they're just covering it live there. Ascap's a bunch of greedy motherfuckers. Great story with them. Great fucking story with them. Sitting at the bar in Cincinnati. I'm at the end doing some paperwork on the laptop. I might have been putting together a newsletter for some upcoming events. Partner Dominic behind the bar. And they come in, they hand him a letter. Well, we understood you had live music here last week. Yada, 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 you know, you got to pay this and all this. Dominic ripped, ripped, ripped it up, ate the motherfucker, 
and told the guy to come back and pick up this form when he shipped it out. That's fantastic. Oh, it's good. We're, we're, we had about a half bar full of people. I'm sitting there first. My jaw kind of dropped, and I realized what he was doing. We're, we're all sitting there dying laughing. That was the last time they came in and tried hitting us up for, for money. I thought, you know, they won it. Like, the license was like $5,500. Oh, yeah, an ASCAP license is not cheap. Not cheap at all. Well, if we further looked into it, it actually, we're not, we weren't completely sure that it did apply to bringing in bands that were sort of performing the covers. But we also, we were tied in with our license to our, to our jukebox fees. There you go. Yeah. If you're already paying for an ASCAP license, it shouldn't be an issue. We weren't directly paying for a license in our name, but it was still under our contract with our, our music vendor, music and gaming vendor. thing that's so interesting about this development to me number one the wwe does own these trademarks uh they own them originally when they purchased wcw they let the trademark lapse they refiled for the trademark in 2015 when they brought in balor anderson and gallows so the young bucks could have been hit with this a long time ago they poked the bear long enough. They had to kind of see this coming, didn't they? I think they knew eventually. And you know, ride it out. Ride it out as long as you can. Get it while they're getting good. And know that eventually, that the hand that, that he just got, you're going to get slapped eventually. The now, thing... also, you hear a lot of fans like, oh, you know, Vince has just got his, his boxes in a bunch, panties in a bunch, whatever you want to put there. I think this is so under his radar. This is just the legal department doing the job that they're supposed to do. They're supposed to protect the assets and investments of a publicly traded company. The important thing here is they do own the trademark. They have an obligation to their stockholders to protect that trademark. Otherwise, it sets a precedent where other people can steal their trademarks. Which is why they're also now going after Will Ospreay. For Paw is War. They have to maintain that intellectual property. As petty as this may come across, the WWE's kind of got a leg to stand on here. What would be interesting is if this case went to court, is the Young Bucks were given Scott Hall and Kevin Nash's blessing to use all of this stuff. I would love to see this thing play out in court. I don't think that's going to happen, though. I mean, what, that doesn't stand up in any, in any fashion, though. It isn't, it isn't their property to be giving a blessing or be giving away. I think this would be a very interesting case for as long as the Bullet Club has been around, as long as they have been using these trademarks considering the trademark was lapsed when Bullet Club started, I think the Young Bucks have a case here. I don't think they're going to fight this thing in court, though, because, like Vince said in that promo with Kevin Owens, the law favors billionaires. And Vince oh. would find a way to win this goddamn case. He's going to have him so tied up. Into this. The Young Bucks are best to just let this damn thing go. And as you said, they can still use... Those acts in their performance, 
they just can't monetize it. This is about turning a profit on it. Now the Bucks are smart enough, as they've already shown, to get the crowd behind them, to get that interaction, to get that sympathy on their side, that they'll take it right up to the point and let the crowd finish it. They're, they're already pulling the perfect work on it. And that's going to translate into a new avenue for merchandising, a new direction for them. They released that cease and desist shirt on Pro Wrestling Tees the other day. It was immediately the number one selling shirt on Pro Wrestling Tees. I'm happy to say that I have mine ordered. I was going to say, people are going to line up and just eat out of their hands. This guy keeps coming up with some awesome marketing ideas. Love them or hate them, you have to give them credit that they know how to fit themselves over and they're making damn money. I popped so hard when I watched the newest episode of Being the Elite and they were burning all the Too Sweet stuff. It was like such a action movie kind of sequence. It was awesome. Speaking of a bunch of spot monkeys, Ultima Lucha Trace is now underway. Part 2 coming up tonight as Phoenix puts on his mask on the line against Marty the Moth Martinez's hair. Ivelisse returns to the temple to finally do battle with Katrina. And a group of luchadors fight for one of Dario Cueto's unique opportunities. Rick, I know I sent you the match. Did you have an opportunity to watch the hell of war between Dante Fox and Killshot? I watched it just before we started recording today. And was it not the most brutal match that you have seen in years? I, I'm going to get this. You know, everyone that's out there listening knows I've, I've been on record. I have trouble getting in to Lucha. I'm going to give it this, man. That was one hell of a gimmick match. Holy shit. Those two guys just beat the hell out of one another. I can't believe they didn't sweep up the glass. I, 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 was, kind of, I was paying attention to that. And I was going to, it was going to be one of my, my little things to pick at it, that they left the glass in there, and you could tell that it was a stunt glass, because there should have been way more blood with them, con, you know, continually falling on it, stepping on it. But I, I can let that go. It, it was a great, it was a great gimmick match. And as, I, as I'm sitting there watching it and kind of looking at our show notes and, and getting ready for the first few topics that are fresh and fresh on my, in my memory, what we've seen here, not not so much to the exact extent, because damn, this was this was brutal. These guys just they they went into the depths of hell and went to war. But what we've seen here, WWE out a little bit. They should just copy this damn thing for this Kevin Owens Shane McMahon match coming up coming up Sunday at Hell in a Cell. For those who haven't had an opportunity to see this thing yet, this is basically a three stages of hell match. So it's a three falls, or best two out of three falls. Match one was first blood. Match two was no DQ. Match three was basically an ambulance match. Yeah, I like how they structured them too. I like that first blood coming out. It is. Yeah, you would think that they would have done the no DQ before the first blood. Logically speaking, but this is Lucha. Nothing makes, makes any sense. I, I thought they, you know, your average mind is going to think, yeah, if you don't know DQ, start, you know, and build upwards. But I think that putting that first blood first 
man, it, it's really up the ante for that no DQ. I cannot stand Vampiro, and I cannot stand Matt Stryker, but I love those two guys on commentary. They I add so a, much to the show. They did a great job in this match. I have not watched a lot of Lucha. But I, I thought they called this match perfectly. I, I was listening to him. I was pulled in. I didn't have a lot of backstory, but they brought it. They filled me in on what I needed to know. They brought it to life. Kept me on the hook. That match is even better if you know the backstory to it. And if, if, you know, they, I'm sure it would be if I knew all the way through. But they gave me enough as a first-time viewer that, that it held me there. Absolutely go look that match up on YouTube. That's going to be my match of the week. The Hell of War from Ultima Lucha Trace, Part 1. I'm telling you, if you're going to gimmick out your gimmick match in WWE, all count anywhere hell in a cell. That's what was going for me. How, how cool would it three stages of hell in a cell be? Oh, my gosh. Well, it, you say three stages of hell in a cell, and my brain immediately goes to David Arquette winning the WCW championship. You're thinking about the three-tier cage. Now, yeah, as soon as you said three-tier hell in a cell, my brain went to David Arquette winning the WCW championship. Give me, give me something along those lines, a first blood style. Come up with some different unique options you could put inside that thing. I am stuck in old school WCW mindset now. Vince Russo, you son of a bitch. Oh, David Arquette wins the world title. Oh. Speaking of heaping miles of shit, I mean, speaking of GFW, <clears throat> er, is it GFW again? Is it GFW again? I am working. On, I am working under the title of Impact Wrestling. I guess we'll find out here at, at Bound for Glory which direction they're officially going in. We'll just see the GFW, the GFW stuff because it was just take so far out that that was mentioned and all those graphics. But they are slowly phasing that out there. The graphic goes away. The graphic comes back. James oh. Storm gets the crowd to chant GFW. That was kind of corny. What did you think of the Victory Road show? Oh, it's some good in-ring action. What I really took her from it, from it, what I was most excited about, there's Global Force, there's Impact Wrestling Tag Team Championship. Baby, they belong to Ohio now. I knew you would be excited about OVE defeating... Uh... It's OVE, OVE Ohio versus everyone. Because right here in Ohio, Ohio is for killers. LAX is still the money act in that company right now. I'm, 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 I'm interested to see LAX chase OVE now. I was just, I was just hyped to, to see the boys get it done. I followed their careers for, for a long time. How long have those guys been around? I don't know that much about them outside of uh, what they're doing at GFW now. Are you looking at early, early to mid 2000s? I know, I know they, they started out, I believe, as, in a, as a backyard act. I first really picked up on them in Buckeye Pro Wrestling, Shark Boys Promotion. 
And from there, they picked up some work with the Heartland Wrestling Association. A uh, brief run with a short, short run company called Ego. And then as Heartland, he kind of went through some magic changes. You know, whenever with WWE is a development territory, they were with Fred Factor. He had moved on. Cody Hawk, tremendous indie legend, great trainer, trainer of many stars. He kind of took over. That's when the voice came in there. <coughs> Jake, for a while, was the longest reigning HWA champion, multiple tag team championship. And, and now they actually. It's a, I'm almost, I can almost say it was 100% certainty that they are the owners of Rockstar Pro Wrestling out of like the Dayton, Ohio area, which is a, a tremendous indie promotion. They've got weekly programming on the internet. They run iPay-per-views. They bring in some, some top, top, top notch names that you know from household names like Rhino, Shane Douglas, uh, some of the, the top names on the indie circuit. So yeah, they're, they're doing really well. It's great to see them get an opportunity to shine under that, that global banner. How old are those kids? Any idea? Okay. Oh, I'm, I'm going to look it up, but I'm going to give a guess. It's probably early 30s. Do you see GFW Impact as their ceiling? Or do you see them maybe pursuing an NXT kind of deal at some point? I, I could see them. Especially now that we've seen, especially that adjustment with, with NXT taking on that smaller that smaller size of us. You look at these guys. Uh, Dave's only 5'9". Jake's 5'7". They're both under 200 pounds. Buck 98, Buck 95. And it's just that smaller size. They're fast, high flyers. And if I'm pulling up here some of the promotions that I, that I just kind of, you know, there were two CW that's done, that's done some time out there. Now, Beyond, Buffalo, Pro, Katara, Dreamwave, Dragon Gate, Full Impact. I would love to see those guys versus TM61. Uh, Ring of Honor. Huh, they did Arrow Wage work, huh? I guess I missed that. It was just some spots. I want to say it was in the early days with the Irish Airborne. Hmm. When they first broke in, they kind of had like an ICC kind of thing going on. You know, with Irish Airborne. I dig the masks. They changed their gimmick quite a bit. I dig it. I like those guys. So yeah, highly talented. Glad to see them get an opportunity and to get a champion, get some championships here in Ohio. Seems that we're going on for a full bore GFW Impact versus AAA storyline with James Storm and EC3 aligning against AAA. But I find it curious that Johnny Mundo is no part of that storyline whatsoever. It's strange. At this point, he's Mister Triple A down there, and, and he's the biggest heel in the company. It is. He's a completely different character than what we're being presented 
on the impact global programming. I can't believe that guy has never made his way back to WWE. I can't believe that they ever let him get away to begin with. I'm still, I'm still holding in there that we will see him before SummerSlam of 2018 in a WWE ring. I think he deserves way better than what he's getting down at GFW. Uh, I say that the September 28th episode of Impact Wrestling with the Victory Road theme on Pop TV drew 264,000 viewers. Live night, same night DVR viewership. That's actually down from 277 last week, but above the prior two weeks. Uh, average right now is right around 273 over the last 10 weeks. September average, 251. 2017 average, 299. September of uh, 2016 was 361,000. People just are not watching this product, and I don't know how much of it has to do with Pop TV. I don't know how much of it has to do with the Hardys. Do you think that GFW Impact is in a better place in October of 2017 than the company was in in October of 2016? There's so many variables in respect of the I mean, we've been through two ownership regimes since then. The problem here, there's such a bad faith in your just general wrestling fan base. Such a bad taste in their mouth. And it's hard for people to give this, to give this product a chance. And it's, it's not because, and believe me, they're, they're putting on a great product inside the ring. Some great storylines, some great characters, some amazing talent. The drama, the headache, and the confusion that happens outside of all that, that happens on the office front, just supersedes everything that's great about this product. And they are doing a lot of things right. There is some of the stuff that goes on down at Impact that I think the WWE could benefit from. The way that they shoot different aspects. And I know that's got to be all Borash. There's some great minds and some great talent there. Not, not just enough to suck a talent in the ring. Throughout that entire company, you've got some great minds, but the ones that stand out are these clowns that are constantly causing issues. Just for comparison's sake, I looked up to see what Total Divas did last week. Total Divas last week drew 560,000 viewers. Victory Road drew 264. Total Divas drew 560,000. So Total Divas has almost twice the viewing audience that GFW has right now. They're looking forward to selling 500 tickets for their biggest show of the year. I still think this company is going to be gone by 2018. Speaking of gone, Robbie E. has left whatever company this is now. Do you see any upside to Robbie E. entering into the indie circuit, Rick? I know he's 
he seems to put some projects on YouTube, trying to drum up some interest in himself. I, I think that he could have something going there on the indie circuit. If I'm him, you know, he's highly regarded as a top-notch trainer. Man, I'm putting out every feeler I can to see if I can get a look down there at the performance center. If I'm WWE, I would bring Robbie E. in and tag him with Zack Ryder immediately. Oh, Captain Cliche! Is that going to work? Is that act going to get over in 2017? It's going to be better than the hype, bros. You've got to believe in the mojo. Hey, man, I'm a Packers fan, and I don't even believe in mojo. All right, so you're saying we'll get the uh, WrestleMania 34 kickoff to the kickoff show. I don't know how mojo ever got called up. The, the bros, the brosies, taking on Mojo and Gronk. Oh, my <laughs> God. You're going to put that on the pre-show? Shit. Oh, man, Vince will probably have that freaking that damn near headlining. Roman Reigns. Roman Reigns wins. Roman Reigns. Oh, my God. Have a sleep, I swear to God. Billy Corgan back in the news this week. Billy Corgan has released his NWA 20-year plan. Justin Barrasso at Sports Illustrated with the interview. Rick, I know you're the one that turned me on to this. What did you take away in reading this interview? I would say first, it was a very interesting read. It, it can tell that Mr. Corgan is very passionate about this. He's kind of proven that by his never-give-up attitude towards professional wrestling. Sitting in fail after fail, roadblock after roadblock, he just keeps, keeps on pursuing it. Hats off to him there. Pretty good. Yeah, here's something from him. And you're like, that makes a lot of sense. That's a good point. The first half of the interview reads like a very, very intelligent man who is and then, scorned. And then you flip the coin, and it's kind of like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And then the down. second half of the interview, it's like, dude, what the fuck are you talking about? Are you serious? Really? It, it's almost as if... It was like two different days, two different, two different personalities going on, two different people. Throughout the interview, he takes some some subtle and some not-so-subtle shots at TNA. Uh, when asked about his time as management for TNA, he says, I was very, very frustrated by the obstacles I faced internally, both culturally and fiscally, at TNA. I dealt with a lot of backstabbing and lies. I was able to push through some things and ended up being successful at TNA. And I was very frustrated because you think success at would have led to more leverage and further opportunities, but it was exactly the opposite. People were out to get me because I had power. At least now in this situation, I am my own boss. That doesn't sound like it was a very uh, pleasant parting of ways to me. I don't think that's a secret to anybody. And then, the very next question, he is asked about 
Corgan's NWA possibly working with Anthem GFW. And this, to me, was the most interesting answer of this entire thing. We've made various overtures to Anthem along the way, and they've made various overtures to me. We haven't found anything that is ideal, and I'm a firm believer that if a deal doesn't go both ways, then it's not a good deal to make. Really, when did you learn that lesson, Billy Corgan? If the NWA was going to be involved in some level with Anthem, we want it to be good all the way around. He is seriously entertaining the idea of getting back into business with these fucking people? I think that's more just a generic PR corporate answer than anything. He's laying it out there that, that no matter what, you know, he can always say, well, this really isn't working. And he's just not saying it has to work for us. You know, so, you know, we can't really give them what they need, so we'll just, we'll have to, you know, we'll hold off here. I would like to know what overtures have been made towards Anthem and what overtures have been made towards Billy Corgan at this point. That might have just been something as simple as a, a gesture in the passing, something along those lines. I doubt there was any serious talk, anything going on there, because both of these promotions, let's be honest, they've got a lot of in-house shit to sort out before they worry about, about moving anything together. So what do you think? Can Billy Corgan make the NWA relevant again? What really stood out here to me is that, that they kept harping this 20-year business plan, which which, which seems a little bit, I don't know, a little bit, it seems strange as hell to me. bit overzealous. If it's structured up there, yes, of course you hope to be in business that long. Man. I want to see that, I want to see what the breakdown is. Where, where are you going to be in your four-year period? Well, I don't even know what the plan for the company is. Well, yeah, I, that's, I, this is just a very generic, basic outline. I want to know some more details. So where, where, what are your measuring sticks in? Definitely a story to keep an eye on as we head towards 2018. Well, I think, too, that anyone, especially you know, fans like ourselves, that that find more interest in items like this. How the business is being built, how, especially how is that being marketed here? What are your plans? How are you going to present this, this bad boy? You know, as opposed to the people that just, you know, like the in the story. You know, this is something to really follow here with all the great tradition and backstory of the NWA to see someone come in. That we can say has a great passion for this that have seen success in other forms of entertainment, we want to keep a close eye on this to see how this unfolds. For better or worse, it should be an interesting follow. Wanted to touch on some WWE live events that took place uh, over the course of the last week or so. Are you sitting out by like a street? Man, no, you know what? It's so fucked up because I'm literally sitting in the same place that I always am and I've got everything closed up just like I always do. And it sounds like some motherfucker is trying to start a goddamn motorcycle underneath of my fucking apartment. <laughs> I'm like, what the fuck is going on? I, I, know we, I know everyone knows that we're working through some of the issues on my end here, upgrading equipment and all that and getting going. But on your end, it's probably quiet as hell and crisp. And it just, it seems like there's like a truck driving about, driving by, like every like two minutes or something like that. Jesus Christ. Yeah, I don't know. What the hell's going on out there? 
Everything's just going to hell today. So the thing that really sparked our interest in this show, we're going to talk about the September 30th show from Winnipeg, Manitoba. Uh, Finn Balor defeats Bray Wyatt. Nah, sounds about right. Neville defeats Enzo via DQ. Okay. Titus and Apollo defeat Elias and Dash Wilder. Okay, that makes sense. Seth and Dean defeat the Miztourage. Nice to see that they're testing that on the uh, house show market. Evidently didn't go so well. Brock Lesnar defeats Sheamus. Brock Lesnar on a house show in Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada. What do you make of this, Rick? Well, pretty much in his backyard, correct? I think so. I'm I'm not entirely up on my Canadian geography. Uh, he's currently living in Saskatchewan, I think it is. I'm not exactly sure how far it is from Winnipeg to Saskatchewan. Do you think this is just to get Brock some in-ring work? I mean, we heard that Brock was taking time off. He's now been added to two episodes of Raw between now and Survivor Series. He's working a house show in Winnipeg, Manitoba against Sheamus, which I think is a little bit interesting. Well, they've worked together before. I believe they've got a, a good relationship with one another. When you're going to come in here, Brock's going to see who he wants to work with. No, I don't, he's available there. And then they go to intermission. Brock Lesnar, before the intermission, he's not even the draw on the show. Well, this, is, this is what kind of got me about this, what we started talking about. If you're going to bring Brock Lesnar in, and well, pretty honest about it, it's probably not going to be a cheap payday even for a live event. You're going to want to use that that leverage in your advertising and your ticket sales. Well, and then the second half of the show, Alexa defeats Bailey, Sasha, Mickey, and Emma. Miz defeats Jason Jordan to retain the Intercontinental title. And Roman defeats Braun via DQ. What really got me here is that you don't, that you don't run out. The main event you just had at No Mercy is so hot in people's minds that people loved it. it even in defeat, it made Braun. Braun's through the roof now. He's at another level. Rock continuing his dominance. And out of the main event at this thing, with Rock versus Braun, it didn't have to go to 10 minutes for the participation. You could have done two or three minutes of some quick, hard hit action. If somebody showed me this lineup and said, here's, here's what's going to be on the show for the live event that you're going to, I would have left it intermission. I don't, I don't even think I would have went to the damn thing. By comparison, I went back 20 years ago. 20 years ago today is the anniversary of Brian Pillman's last match. St. Paul, Minnesota, October 4th, 1997. <clears throat> Listen to this lineup. Flash Funk defeats the Rockabilly. The Black Chacks defeat the Truth Commission. Gold Dust defeats Brian Pillman. The Headbangers defeat Miguel and Savio. Mark Merrill with Sable defeat the Sultan. The Legion of Doom over the Godwins in a six-minute cage match. 
What's the hell's the point? It probably took you more than six minutes to put up the goddamn cage. Between set up and tear down, it had to go over six minutes. Hunter Hearst Helmsley defeats Jim the Anvil Neidhart. The DOA over the Nation of Domination. Dude Love defeats Owen Hart. And in your main event, The Undertaker defeats Bret Hart via DQ. Talk about night and day, huh? Holy shit. Undertaker and Bret Hart. I'm just going up and down this card from the one that we just didn't hear in Winnipeg. Officially, in straight off the line, cookie cutter, modern day WWE superstars. And then we go back to 97 and go down this card, and we've got Bonafide. Mega star personality with great characters sprinkled in and an entire lineup that can flat out go in the ring. Hall of Famer after Hall of Famer after Hall of Famer. And even in between there, you've got great characters, you've got great workers, people, people that just, they might not have been through the roof, technically sound in the ring or, you know, going to give you all these high spots, but they knew how to get the job done, they knew how to get you invested, they could tell a story. They pulled the audience in, and they gave you a damn good show. Of course, this came up because of Brian Pillman and it being the 20th anniversary of his final match. Uh, I know you had some fond memories of Brian Pillman. Well, certainly he is, he is in my top three all-time favorites. Special bond that, that I've always had with him were both from Cincinnati, Ohio. I always just thought it was so cool, especially back in the days of Flying Brian. I remember when I first when I first got turned on to him. I'm in third or fourth grade. I love the Cincinnati Bengals trunks. That you know that he was that exciting performer back then. Get you going. He'd come off the top rope. He was, he was flying around with his, his flying elbows. All, all the different moves that he would present to you. I, I loved him then. And then to see that that transformation almost. Almost as I grew up too, I grew up with him there. You know, he was that that clean cut, you know, blue chipper, good guy you needed. And then as you evolve a little bit, he's grown up. You know, he's just a little edgier. Goes in into with the the, with the the Hollywood Blonde. The stuff him and Austin did together as the Hollywood Blondes is amazing to go back and watch now. The, the short the short time that they were together. To this day, they still remain one of my favorite tag teams of all time. And it's really the beginning of that Austin and Pillman story that goes all the way through 97. It starts laying the groundwork there. And it's a time that, you know, then it goes a little bit, it goes a little bit edgier. Through ECW, it's just that full evolution that you got out of him. I, I kind of grew up in those stages with him. And it goes all the way back to the roots of, you know, just when I'm a third or fourth grader. Thinking it was so cool that this guy from my hometown was such a huge megastar. Not only not only was he from Cincinnati, he, he played for the Cincinnati Bengals. He went to college for the local for a local school in Miami of Ohio University. And to this day, I I still have my and I don't wear it. This is a, a keeper for me. I don't want anything to happen to it. But I've got the authentic number ninety-seven Brian Tillman Cincinnati Bengals jersey. One of the, the things that I, that I own that, that I truly hold close to my heart. 
Fly and Brian was responsible for bringing a lot of the lucha style to the United States. He's one of the very first ones, and I remember doing lucha stuff. Uh, I don't think his contribution to the wrestling business can go understated. I really wish Dean Ambrose was a little bit more Brian Pillman. I think Dean Ambrose wishes he could be a little bit more Brian Pillman. It's coming up on some injury news here. Uh, Jeff Hardy has had his surgery to repair a torn rotator cuff. Originally, I had heard that it was a torn labrum, which is the same injury that Hideo Itami and Finn Balor suffered. Uh, now it sounds like it's maybe just a torn rotator cuff. But if it's a labrum, he's going to be out six to nine months. That sucks. Terrible timing. Uh, it really it. is. It's just terrible timing. Especially with the rumors. I know that you weren't necessarily behind it yourself. It's just going to sound, and, and fans are going to eat this up, you know, the rumors that they were about ready to make a move on some sort of gimmick and character change for the Hardy. Well, I think they could still do that. Jeff doesn't necessarily have to wrestle to be Brother Nero. And I hope they realize that. I hope that they can see that there still is just tremendous value in having him present instead of just having him... As, as, as you go off the foot as, as the quote-unquote spot monkey. So what do you do with Matt Hardy now? Do you, do you just go with the Woken Matt Hardy thing and go all in with it? Do you keep him with Jason Jordan as part of a tag team to protect him a little bit? What would you do with Matt? I, I think right now, that, as you mentioned, that is a great placeholder for him, especially with a, a young Jason Jordan that needs better and presence like that. I really but, hope those two guys are traveling together. Especially if they are traveling together, the amount of knowledge that's going to be passed along just in a car ride is immeasurable. And what that could mean for Jason Jordan going forward. I, I just don't... I really have to sit and think about when the timing would be right to pull the trigger and move Matt forward on his own to bring to bring forth one of these these crazy ass you know ideas and gimmicks that he probably had stored away in his mind. Samoa Joe tells SkySports.com that the recovery is going really well, uh, but he's only been able to perform about 80% capacity since joining NXT. Uh, back then I had no chance to take time off because of the WWE opportunity. Before I was just treating a knee problem with ice and elevation at home. Now it's the best I've ever felt. It really is. He also had nasal surgery done from a broken nose that he's had about eight times. So he's only been able to breathe at about 60%. Are you ready for Joe to come back and just go on a tear through the singles division on Monday Night Raw? When I first read this, you know, my first thought is, damn, he was only, you know, he wasn't at full capacity. And he was that damn good. And that, that kind of, that blew me away there. 
Especially the nose thing, not being able to breathe. Oh, that's, that's definitely anything worse than that. And I mean, his cardio is for a bigger guy is through the roof to begin with. Now he can breathe. I, I'm extremely excited to see what we're going to get now. Yeah, you know, he's coming back feeling better than ever, and hopefully, damn near 100 percent all around. And just him scratching the surface. It's that perfect opportunity or the perfect example of a, of a talent that was just almost accidentally given opportunity and just ran with it. I don't know how... You don't think there's any way that they screw him, right? When he comes back, that they almost like a, a ballot situation. I don't think so. Joe's a much bigger guy. I think uh, Vince looks at Joe and probably sees a higher ceiling than he does with Balor. Um, and, and he has on his resume, he's got Brock Lesnar and Paul Heyman in his corner. Yeah, which definitely helps. That definitely helps. I'd bring Joe back with the Authors of Pain. Imagine a faction of Joe and the Authors of Pain. And you just, you just want to turn this straight into New Japan, don't you? You just want some gang warfare going on. If you're going to put the shield back together, you have to. You have to come up with an opposition for the shield. Joe and the Authors of Pain? I'd buy that. Man, so I'm just wondering, not to go back to complete shield talk there, but do you think this will, do you think they'll stick together for a while? Or do you think this is almost like a... I don't know, man, we're, we're slow as hell this time of year. We need some kind of stunt. I think if you do a flash-in-the-pan shield reunion, it's only going to hurt the next time you do it. Because, I mean, this obviously isn't going to be a long-term thing. But I remember when they were doing this with the Horsemen years ago, when they put them back together and then tear them apart, and put them back together and then tear them apart. It really only works the first and second time. I think they really got to take their time and do something special with this thing. What I'm, what I'm hoping that when they do part ways this time, it isn't what we've seen. It isn't rehash of one of them turning something along those lines. That they just part ways. Yeah. They just say, you know what? We did it. We're all boys. But our goal is... Our goals are in different directions. Here. Well, you'd, yeah, you don't even necessarily need to split them up. Just have them kind of go their separate ways, pursuing different interests, without ever really saying that they're not together anymore. There's no reason to do that again. Right. And it, and it helps that they have the brain to, to kind of use as a club The only big note out of New Japan, well, I guess there's two big notes out of New Japan this week. Number one, if Helena Cell is a complete and utter turd, at least King of Pro Wrestling is that night as well. So it's going to be wrestling overload this Sunday. The other news coming out. It seems that one Mr. Kenny Omega's contract is up in January. I was an advocate of Kenny coming to the WWE a year ago. I didn't think that Kenny's stock was ever going to be any higher than it was after Wrestle Kingdom. I still stick by that. I think that he was hotter then than he is now. Especially with all the 
Bullet Club cease and desist stuff going on. Is it time for Kenny Omega to come stateside? I don't know how much has to do with how much New, New Japan wants to invest in him. We've seen tremendous strides and towards their goals of moving into the Western market. And one can't help but just assume that Kenny Omega would be a major focal point within those plans. Now, they're going to shore him up and make sure that he's taken care of, then, then why not stay? I mean, you're, you're much closer to the situation than I am here. They can't compete with Vince money. I understand that. I mean, I mean, bottom line, they can't compete with Vince money. Uh, Okada but, is the ace. But, but is there a point where it's good enough money in addition to other guarantees within that contract that will present you, that will certainly present you, the guarantee that will present you, the promise that will present you in a better light than the risk you take with making that move to WWE. Well, you know, this came up a year ago. Um... And I think and I think Kenny made a good faith decision to stay. Would you say that Kenny has been protected and booked well this year? I mean, I know he's the IWGP United States champion. And I know that there was some conversation that he should have been higher on the PWI top 500 or whatever. The reality is... Kenny has had some great matches this year. He hasn't won a lot of them. I don't know, man. I, I feel like if, if Kenny's going to do it, he needs to do it now. Well, you got to remember, too, he had that, he had that time off where production and you know, the spotlight faded on a little bit, you know, right after Wrestle Kingdom last year. And he's, he's out of the picture, since I have a picture for, what, three, four months? Yeah. Until he came back and tore down the house with Okada again. I'm just trying to look at a reason, you know, in his mind. He's going to have to weigh all these options because you know they're going to come knocking. If they're not going to put the title on Omega, then it's time to go. And I don't mean as a transitional champion. And I think it's NATO's time, not Omega's. With all, with all that, with everything, with everything being said, looking at both sides, looking at both decks here, if I'm him, I, I'm probably just going to, right now, I'm going to take that WWE money. And you, hear so, you hear so often, especially from his friends over there, that's the contract that sets you up for life. We talked last week about who is going to be the Randy Orton to Roman Reigns' John Cena. Could you see it being Kenny Omega? Could you watch eight years of Kenny Omega versus Roman Reigns at this point? Well, here's an issue. 
He's six foot, two hundred and three pounds. Yep. I know he's got star power. Yep. He presents himself in that manner. But when he gets to the WWE and they look at him and they're looking at a guy that's six foot, two hundred and three pounds, what kind of, what kind of play is he going to get? I think two years ago, I would have agreed with you more. And then AJ Styles broke that barrier. How big is AJ compared to Kenny? Well, I mean, just, I think what would be a, a, a true measuring stick, because, you know, when Kenny comes in, I, unless it's the same circumstances of where Styles top his break to go straight to the main roster, Kenny's going to go to NXT. Which I think would would fit him best because he's going to be able to get in that system and show what he can do with it. You think he would? They would send Kenny to NXT? I'm almost certain that they would. Hmm. I I think Styles was almost because of the situation. They needed something. They needed something for that WrestleMania season because there's so many injuries. Yeah, but all they did was put him in a match against Jericho that he lost. And all that was a selling point because Vince was not behind the move. They had to, to prove to Vince that AJ had something. It was Jericho, from all accounts, it was Jericho who said, hey, let me do this with him. Let me show you what you got with him here. AJ is 5'11", C-A-T. So Kenny's just about the same size as AJ. A little bit bigger than Balor. Balor is... Balor's Balor. like 5'11", 185. I don't know, man. I would shoot Kenny Omega immediately into a program with Roman. I think Kenny's that good of a talent, but... I think they're going to put him in. You know, unless there's other circumstances. See, to me, if I'm Kenny Omega and I'm talking to Hunter and Hunter says, we'd love to bring you on board, I think that's a deal breaker for me. I go straight to the main roster. You want me to go to NXT, I'm staying in Japan. Well, I, I'm reporting out the NXT move because if, it, if he comes in January, I mean, to probably go to you probably somewhere along that, that runs to WrestleMania for, for the NXT show and probably spend some time there. So in between that, we could probably get a good assessment of how they might handle him with how how Finn how Finn Balor's book during that time on the main roster. Is he gonna get any serious attention? Or is that size difference just something that an obstacle that's just a little too hard for to overcome? See, I think the problem is Roman Reigns is already thirty two years old. I mean, do you think Roman Reigns is gonna make it to forty like Cena did? Or do you think he's gonna be out before that? Tremendous shape, WWE style. Yeah, but it's the passion that I question. I mean, it's very realistic. You may only have five years left of Roman Reigns. Well, that's yeah, something that's, that's hard for us to judge. I mean, we. Oh we yeah, absolutely. We, we absolutely. Heart and character, because we we just don't have have access to that. No, but you can listen to him on the Sam Roberts podcast where he says, you know, that he's just here to get famous and get rich. 
He doesn't have that pro wrestling passion like Cena does. Roman's not a seven day a week guy. And see, that goes back to I would, it just shocked me to know, and that they don't have a team dedicated to making sure that he knows how to handle the PR, that he's saying everything, everything right. For, team, for them being so determined to continue to force feed him onto their audience, and you think he would just, in every which way, he would be able to manipulate every move this guy makes so that he comes off looking like a million bucks. You know, people have been down on John Cena pretty much since the beginning of his career because it was real obvious that first night when he came out and got in Angle's face and shook hands with The Undertaker, Cena was going to be a player. They shot him out of a cannon. But as much as we have bitched about John Cena over the course of the last decade, if it wasn't John Cena, then who in the hell would it have been? Well, let's not forget that, that it wasn't always intended to be Cena. That's true. That's he, true. He, he seems an opportunity. The fans for years have wondered why Vince didn't go with the fans. And if the fans were casting this show, these would have been your baby faces, your lead baby faces over the course of the John Cena era. You would have had Chris Benoit. You would have had Eddie Guerrero. You would have had Edge. You would have had CM Punk. And you would have had Daniel Bryan. I love all five of those talents. But where are those five talents now? And John Cena's just now walking away. Was Vince right? I think he was right. And that you, you need a stable foundation. And if you, if you just play what your audience is demanding at a certain time, crowds are very fickle. We would have been through, as you just laid out there, five different you know, standouts or faces of the company in a relatively short time period in the grand scheme of things here. So I, I said, yeah, hell yeah, he was right to stay the course. He knew what he had. He had something... It's something very special in Cena. If you just you're talking, talking to Cena is passionate about this. So now Everything the question was, becomes, is he right about Roman Reigns? If not Roman, then who? If Roman's not the face of the company, then who is? Who do you so, put in that spot? There are a few points here. He could be speaking to himself... Man, I did it for Cena, man. I had I had that superstar. I had that one that comes that just comes every so often that we hit it out of the park with. That was what we were just talking about. Does Roman have is he made up inside of what uh, a fraction of what John Cena? And if he's not, then no. As much as you want to believe it and force it on people, then no, he is not the right guy. So now, if not Roman, then who? If you can get him on board with that, then, then yeah, then, then stay that course. Now that's the big question. And now and they have to figure that out internally. If not Roman, 
kind of a tough question. I, I almost, I'm almost even wondering, do you need someone like that in the way that they market its company, WWE brand first over the individual talent? I, now, they're, now they're just producing off the assembly line cookie-cutter superstars. I almost feel like and when, when this topic came up, I almost wonder if Vince hasn't abandoned this a couple of times. This whole Roman Reigns thing. Seth Rollins was the man, right? Seth Rollins was presented as the man on TV. And well, then he got I, hurt. I think the direction there in this was to have him be the Orton. And then he got hurt. And so then they went with Ambrose. And they made Ambrose the champion. And he was the worst champion in WWE history. Oh, no, I firmly believe that. Dean Ambrose was the worst champion in WWE history. So yeah, you're really loving uh, Mahal's work right now? 1.3 billion people. But then, even then, and I mean, I'm not just ripping on these guys, because like I said, I like them as talents. Then they went to Finn Balor. And Finn Balor got hurt. Maybe Vince is right here. If not Roman Reigns, then who? You going to go to somebody that's constantly getting hurt? You going to go to somebody who can't sell a goddamn ticket to come see him defend the championship? I think Vince has tried some other things, and none of it worked. And he got burned on it. And now we're stuck with Roman fucking Reigns. Because there's nobody else. Roman's 32 years old. Anybody that you throw out in that company. AJ Styles, too old. Samoa Joe, too old. Brock Lesnar, too old. There's no good young talent inside of that company right now. He ain't going to go with Kevin Owens. He ain't going to send Kevin Owens to the Today Show. People are going to look at Kevin Owens and go, yeah, no, I'm not watching that. It's trying yes. to grab the casual fan. Well, yeah, as great as a talent as he is, he's not, he, doesn't, he doesn't just exude that, that mega star. As Tom good as he is, star. he's not going to get somebody to tune in to watch the show just by looking at him. That's just the reality of it. I think the WWE needs Kenny Omega. Kenny Omega's 32 years old, just like Roman Reigns. Even if they're not the Cena and Orton, at least you can go back and forth between the two so you're not just shoving Roman down our throats. But I'm almost pummeled into submission at this point that we're just going to have to stomach five to eight years of Roman Reigns because there's nobody else to take that. Nobody else to be the face of the company right now. I won't give you the... If Omega comes in and gets that opportunity... Uh, you could almost present that as put him almost in that Shawn Michaels position against some of these bigger talents. Oh, absolutely. I mean, when, yeah. I, when, I, say, when I say bigger talents, I, I mean it's the factor. As as far as yeah, because you know Shawn. I mean, if you just look at factor wise, 
pretty much a fork, you know, you know, compared to taking on, you know, the likes of Diesel and Razor Ramon. But he held himself in such, you know, that light of a, of a mega star that you forgot about that. I saw the promo between Psycho Sid and Shawn Michaels last night leading up to the match at the Garden. And Sid towers over Shawn. Just towers over him. But there's no doubt that Shawn's the star. Well, just because of his, his simple presence. And Omega now, has that in spades. I mean, Okada towers over Omega. I mean, Omega and Ishii is a fantastic match, and Ishii is a legit heavyweight. You know, I think that's something that's always made Styles so special, where it might not be like the charisma of a Shawn Michaels, but you know he's just going to, they, they call him phenomenal for a reason. And I know, I know a lot of other people see that in Finn, I, I've just yet to see that in him. And I, I, I just, like, because I link so much of what I see from his personal life that turns me off to, to translate it into his character. That brings us to hit or mess as we wind out the show here. Got just a couple of items here for you this week, Rick. Bradley Cooper to play Vince McMahon in the Pandemonium biopic. Hit or miss. Now, I'm going to clear something up here. Is this that script that leaked uh, a couple months ago? As far as I know, I, that was the title of the script. So it sure appears as though that is the movie that they are making. I, I cannot believe that this thing is still even being talked about. Did you see any of the inserts that, that made it out about this? Oh, my you- God. This movie is going to be so bad. So bad. Never let the truth get in the way of a good story, right? If people are going to take this, take this shit to heart and believe that's what it was. I mean, we've got... What, what they had? They have Vince and Linda meeting in a strip club. they got Vince and Hogan sticking needles in each other's asses. They've got NWA meetings going on with promotions that didn't even exist at the time. The whole thing just seems so ludicrous. The I, only Bradley Cooper should play Vince McMahon. I don't really have a take on it right now. I, I'm gonna, I just gotta, I'm not even gonna take a shot at it. But you know that Vince is eating this up. Oh yeah, that's, that's me, pal. Yeah, that's Cooper right there. Or, or either that, or or he's knocking him like, ah, oh, that twerp. He ain't got it. ain't me in anyway. Fuck that twerp, pal. All I'm going to say is if Bradley Cooper plays Vince McMahon, he needs to get himself a new agent because that script is fucking terrible. Shane O'Mac investing in the marijuana business. Hit or miss. I would say, you know, hey, that's my running. And I'm looking forward. I'm going to go with the hit. No pun intended, I guess. But it's happening. Sounds like this might have been a miss for uh, for Shane O'Mac, right? Oh, well played, well played. It's definitely a hit. Well played.
here in Ohio, a couple pro athletes, and Nicholas Shea was heavily involved in it. And I, I kind of think it's some other, I mean, it was some big name individual that was from Ohio that was going to make a damn lot of money off this thing. And the only reason it didn't pass is because they had the provisions in there to make sure that they cornered the market on everything. The state of Iowa is far too stupid to legalize marijuana. I mean, we only got fields everywhere where we could grow this stuff. Enzo calling out Corey Graves on Twitter. Hit or miss? I'm going with a hit. I mean, this, this, is, this is pretty damn good. How much, how much shit does Graves give Enzo weekly while he's sitting, there, sitting in the commentator group? Yeah, I'm going to chalk this up to just two guys in the company just having a little fun ribbing one another. But I, I, thought, I thought it was pretty funny, and it, and it totally plays to this over-the-top dumbbag character that we're getting from Enzo right now. The only hit I want to see is Corey Graves' fist in Enzo's mouth. I would pay 999 yen for that. Kevin Owens advertised for the October 16th episode of Monday Night Raw. Hit or miss? Where, where is this episode at? Do you happen to know? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I actually just kind of saw this story come across. I wasn't even sure if maybe this wasn't just a typo. Um, but of course, the internet got a hold of it and immediately drew the conclusion that Shane McMahon is winning at Hell in a Cell and Kevin Owens is getting thrown off of SmackDown and is going back to Monday Night Raw. Yeah, I took this kind of when I, when I read it. I, I didn't work with that, so maybe it's a special appearance to have something going on. They maybe want to use Kevin Owens to maybe boost some interest for local ticket sales. And then I thought, hey, this might be a great work on, on behalf of WWE. They must be throwing this out there to throw some speculation into what just might happen come this Sunday at Hell in the Cell. Ideally, I'm hoping Kevin Owens is going to Monday Night Raw, and I also hope that this is a trade for Finn Balor coming to Tuesday Night SmackDown. I, I really could think, as you were saying, this is going to lay out, this is going to begin the road to WrestleMania, Man, there's so much potential here that you could have. Why does Kevin, why is Kevin over on Raw? What is going on here? Is there perhaps someone that shows up and assists him in a victory at Hell in a Cell and then promptly requests that he shows up on Monday Night Raw? Maybe while... Oh, I see where you're going there. I see where you're going. Maybe he's still under contract to the blue brand. But he's got some new, uh, some acquaintances, or some new old acquaintances over on Raw that he's got dealing with. And there's a lot of ways, there's a lot of ways they could play this thing. So that's it for episode six. Coming up next week, we're going to get into the Hell in a Cell fallout. Of course, whatever's going on with Monday Night Raw. Hopefully I can get Rick to watch uh, King of Pro Wrestling so we can review that show next week. Be sure that you follow the show on Twitter at HTMPWPod. Uh, we're actually using that now. Doing good about that. Find the show on Facebook at Hitting the Marks. Drop us an email at HittingTheMarks at gmail.com. Be sure to subscribe to Hitting the Marks on iTunes and Podbean so you never miss an episode. Drop us the five-star Meltzer review. You can find me across all social media platforms at NotJargo. 
Rick, how do the stalkers find you? Well, first I want to mention, we're talking about, you, you just made a purchase from Pro Wrestling Tees, correct? Oh, of course. I do a lot of business with Pro Wrestling Tees. They have a superior product. You do a lot of business over there. But they, what, I'm such a fan of them, too. How about we give away some merchandise from Pro Wrestling Tees? Free shit. Here's what we're going to do. If you head on over to our Facebook page, Facebook backslash hitting the marks, if we get to a hundred followers, a hundred likes, we're gonna we're gonna pick one lucky fan, and we're gonna give you a complimentary shirt of your choosing from Pro Wrestling Team. A shirt of their choosing? I thought we were gonna give them a Disco Inferno shirt. It's very maybe, disrespectful. Maybe for, our, maybe for our worst fan out there. Oh. James Powers, if you're listening, you might be receiving a discount from his t-shirt in the mail. But anyway, uh, our listeners out there, they can find me on Twitter, at the real RBG. As always, head on over to Facebook, check us out in the WrestleZone discussion group. This Sunday, we've got our, uh, our WWE Pick'em Challenge. You pick the winners, rank how confident you are in your selection. we got running totals, it's a lot of fun. And um, we'll have a lot of discussions going on over there this weekend. Some interesting chat and some insight on the all things wrestling and WWE. Be on the lookout for a very special Around the Pool edition for Hell in a Cell this weekend. I believe that we're going to record that on Saturday. How Rick and I would book Hell in a Cell, working with the existing card, what we would do with the creative for the show. I'm very torn on some of these matches. You got all yours laid out, Rick? I'm working on it. We've had some weak builds, but I, I'm going to try to go over the top. We're going we're gonna to kick start and get some excitement going on, but as you said, this is a good one on paper. Be sure that you tune in for that one for a very, very special appearance from Motley Crue. That's a spoiler. Motley Crue is going to be on the show. All right, everyone. That's it for this week. We're off like a prom dress. See ya! Watch your fingers. Enable me.
Violate! 